first place to start is don't bill by the hour. That is the bane of everybody's existence for two reasons. Number one, it doesn't reward you for being really good at your job and or being more efficient. And then number two, it automatically puts you at odds with your client because the benefit for your client is to do your work faster. The benefit for you is to take longer. Okay. So it puts you at odds with your client unnecessarily so, in my opinion. The other piece of this too is in order to bill by the hour, you got to track time and there's literally nobody that's going to track your time. So value-based billing is the way to go. Hello, and welcome to Design Adjacent, the podcast that talks about the nexus of design both today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Vinny F. Johnson, and today our special guest is a CPA. Yes, you heard me correctly. On Design Adjacent, our guest today is a CPA. It's none other than Chris Hervishan of Better Way CPA. Chris has an incredible background in accounting and finance and working with small and mid-sized businesses. He spent 10 years before starting his own firm in forensic accounting and corporate accounting, working in finance with major organizations. He's been featured in publications such as Accounting Today, American Express's Open Forum, Lending Tree, and the Success Defined Podcast, CMS, Wire, and CEO Nation Blog. Chris stays on top of top industry trends and is often called upon for his passion for the accounting and finance industry, which is evident by the number of extracurricular programs he's been involved in. He volunteers as a youth member of the AICPA. He's led the retention task force. He's worked on both business and industry affairs committees and has been featured as one of the top 40 under 40 in the accounting professions by CPA Professional Advisor Magazine a graduate of Elon University with a degree in accounting and minor in finance. He's a certified public accountant. So today I'd like to welcome Chris to the Design Adjacent Podcast. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. When we think about design and we think about design businesses and design space, we often don't think about accounting. But accounting is a clear, critical part of of any business adventure. Talk a bit about what brought you into accounting. Oh, holy cow. That's a great question. I always had a penchant a little bit for entrepreneurship and math, but not high level math, (laughs) more like the addition and subtraction type stuff that that accountants do for the most part. And, um, you know, certainly money and I've hustled pretty much my whole life. So I took an accounting class in high school because my dad said it it would be a good idea. He was an accountant too. And that really didn't go well. So kind of dropped the idea. And when I went to college, I was going to go major in finance because I thought that that was a little bit of a uh, less strenuous path, so to speak. And you know, I took my first accounting class because that's part of the finance major and had a great accounting professor and did really well on it. And then, you know, she just explained things in a totally different way than what I had experienced in high school. And my dad said to me, Hey, look, you can do anything that you want to do with in finance with an accounting degree and then some, and that would be a really good path. So he kind of talked me into it and went, got my degree, graduated from college and about let's see, a month before I was going to graduate, I told him, you know, look, I'm going to go turn pro. I was, I played college golf a little bit and really, really love golf and played junior golf. I said, I'm going to go turn pro. He said, okay, well, you'll know, you'll know when you go broke. <laughs> and so <laughs> sure enough, he was right. And yeah, then, yeah, so I did that for about a year and a half and went back to school and started. How long did that take before you went broke? Didn't take, didn't take long. 
it was about about five minutes in the grand scheme of things, right? And then uh, I went and went back to school and got the hours I needed to go and get certified and pass the CPA exam and, you know, nine to five for a number of years. And here I am out on my own at this point, been out on my own for four years. Awesome. So I asked this question, what are some of the lessons you took from that transition to being pro in golf to your work today? Like moving from hobby to professional. That is, it applies to your your realm now. You've got to you've got to work really hard on it. I was one of those people who needed to spend hours and hours at the range and and play golf on top of it and play a lot of golf in order to to be even reasonably good. Obviously, not good enough to even make money at it. But you know, you got to realize that it's a business and you've got to work at it and you've got to be consistent about it. So that's probably one of the biggest lessons I took into entrepreneurship. But you know, the way that I worked through getting better at golf, I used to use a lot of training aids and I took a lot of lessons and I picked the brains of a lot of people and paid really close attention to how other people were doing it and doing it well. Those, all of those lessons translated over into accounting and the way that we operate, you know, we're heavy on automation, which puts guardrails around quality. And that was born out of the way I practiced. Right. Um, so there's, there's a lot of train, there's a lot of things that, that translate over. So one of the things I find interesting as you look at your practice today is you've had a unique focus on vertical that relates a lot to our audience here, which working with marketing and for extension design agencies, what led you to providing virtual accounting and financial services for these groups? So I did outsource controller work for a, another firm that was in New York when I was basically just a freelancer. I was working in my nine to five and I was doing freelancing you know, type accounting work on the side. And one of the clients that I worked on was an agency. And then when I went out on my own, when I decided to take the the freelance business that I had and, and turn it into my true nine to five, that person that owned that up and said, Hey, look, the CFO is for this business is leaving. Would you be interested in filling that role? I said, yeah, sure. Cause I, you know, needed to feed the kids at that point. Right. So that was my first agency client. I'd worked with them for a couple of years, but not in a CFO right. type role. But so it was a little bit new to me. And then one of my clients in my virtual CFO practice was an agency. And then a second or my third client was an agency. And it, you know, when you start your business out, you hear from a whole bunch of people like you really need to have a niche. It has all these benefits. And so you kind of have that idea in the back of your head. But unless you know exactly what you want it to be, you kind of search for it. Well, in this particular case, it just kind of fell out of the sky, smacked me in the forehead. And that was it. So... I generally just like working with creatives. They're a lot of fun. They appreciate uh, what we do and how we do it. A creative facet to accounting, not because we do creative accounting, but because we are creative accountants and the way that we deliver our work and the way that we do things. So I think it just translates well. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun so far. Oh, really, really interesting to have it grow on top of it. And you talked about working with creatives. What are the things that you see that separates your creative clients from those who aren't in a creative space? Are there any things that stand out their approach to working with you or the nature of the business? I know there's, there's some commonality that you have in the accounting space, but are there any things with, with these agencies that you find unique to this space? I don't know that I would say unique, but there's certainly some common issues that we see for sure. You know, one of them is just understanding the tax system and how that works and when and how and why they're going to pay tax on the money that they earn. Like a lot of agency owners that we work with, they got there kind of in a roundabout way. And honestly, kind of the way that I got to where I am, right? But the difference between me and them is that I was 
trained in accounting and I obsess over accounting. <laughs> so like these things are front of mind for me. Like, hey, you need to pay quarterly estimated taxes and those sorts of things. Whereas for for folks who do creative work, uh, maybe they didn't necessarily come at it any sort of financial background or financial training or anything like that. So just bridging that gap of this is things are supposed to work. This is why the, you know this is why accounting is important. It's because it helps you to make rational data driven decisions in your business to move your business forward, and just explaining the mechanics of all that and how it works and all of the things that need to happen in order to allow even something as simple as to file a tax return. Um, you know, you've got to have good, clean accounting records and you got to keep track of things. And you have to have a separate business and personal bank accounts, like stuff like that is really, you know, those are the common things that we see. You know, to extend that, that question, what's the one question you wish marketing agencies would ask you about? What's the one thing that you wish they would talk about or ask you about or new front and center uh, that you don't see them asking about? The one thing that I wish that they would do is take more advantage of us okay. in a couple of different ways. So meeting consistently and talking about your financials. That's the biggest one. The more, the more frequently we meet with agencies, the more helpful we can be. It just makes rational sense, right? We understand what's going on in your business. We see what's going on day to day. We understand how you operate. We understand your personality. But a lot of those folks, I mean, everybody's been slammed since the pandemic. For sure. So there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, you know, financials are kind of the boogeyman. So it's kind of like going to the dentist sometimes. So one of the challenges that we have is trying to make it more approachable and make it easier where it's not like going to the dentist. You're just having a conversation with somebody who's trying to be helpful. Right. So there's a little bit of that for sure. And then on top of that, I think it's important for folks who run businesses, any business really to have people in the room who are willing to listen. So what I mean by that is we're not when we're when we're talking with an agency owner, we're not just the person who's there presenting the financial information where we are the show, but then also having opportunities to sit there with your leadership team and listen so we can get the full context and understand where you're really coming from because that's how we're going to learn how to drive your business forward. Really interesting and thinking about this and thinking about some of the parallels of your own entrepreneurial start. You mentioned that you were doing this as kind of the freelance side gig, but then involved into the main. I mean, that path is really similar to a lot of design leaders and coming in and they're, they are having clients or work that they're doing outside of the nine to five. And then they find themselves transitioning where the quality, the quantity of the work evolves and they find themselves where they're now running their own shop. What advice would you have for if we have creatives who are listening to our call today and they're in this space, because I think, as you mentioned, it you go quickly. You go from having a side project to the next thing you know, you're, you're set up with full enterprise. Right. One thing that you should know if you are operating in that way is that it's a really good low risk way to see if it's something that you like and want to do full time. So you should know that that's a really good path and it's a really good option. Freelancing to full time is a is a great thing to do. So that's one. Number two is rip the Band-Aid off, really. At some point, you're going to get to a point where you just need to rip the Band-Aid off. You need to quit the nine to five. You need to go out on your own. And you just need to do it. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be different, but you just have to do it. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is to have a coach or coaches. Super invaluable for sure. Yeah, I had a coach. Let's see. I was, I don't know six or seven years into my business doing the part-time stuff. And then I hired a coach and I coached for 
six months before I went full time. And we went through at least two iterations of what my business was going to become when I went full time before we finally landed on this. And just having those as a sounding board, we've been working together for, I don't know, four and a half years at this point. Just having that rational voice who's a sounding board and who's worked with other business owners before, it's super invaluable. Now, where you're going to need expertise is in growing a business and all of the various things that you need to do in order to maintain that business and do it the right way. So that's one. You need to have a good financial mind if you don't have that expertise. And then you need to have a good legal mind if you don't have that expertise, which you I would guarantee that no business owner has the legal expertise. Otherwise, they would be a lawyer, right? So having a good accountant, having a good financial advisor, having a good attorney, those are and having a good coach, a good business coach. Those are all people that you want to have in your corner. What's really interesting as well is you do a lot of, of speaking on industry trends and and how to navigate. I, one question popped to mind that I think would be really interesting for us from your perspective was this question of how to make your data work for a marketing agency to increase your profitability and scalability. We were talking earlier that growth is a top mindset for all of us right now. Like how do we grow and how do we manage? But talk to me a bit about how agency owners can help to make the data work for them to increase those measures of success, both profitability and growth and scalability. Yeah. And I think sometimes those terms sound a little bit scary. I think the more approachable way to kind of frame that would be what are the questions that you want to ask about your business? And what are the answers that, that you need to get back? So what are the questions that we need to ask in order to move our business forward? The way to start there with a data-driven approach is how you design your systems. Okay. So in my line of work, we're focused on financial systems. So financial systems is going to include, first and foremost, your general ledger. And general ledger is basically a fancy name for your accounting system, which is you can probably think of that as like a QuickBooks or a Zero or a FreshBooks or a Wave or, or something or Zoho or something like that. That's going to be your general ledger. That's going to be the hub and spoke of the whole thing financial. You're also going to have an invoicing platform, which may or may not be the same thing. So maybe you invoice from somewhere else like a Stripe or you know some sort of other payment platform. Maybe you invoice straight out of QuickBooks. It just depends, right? So, But your invoicing platform, your bill payment platform, if you have one, if you're of some sort of a size and you have a whole bunch of invoices that are coming through that you have to pay, you probably got some sort of a bill payment platform. Your bank, super critical because you you want your bank to play nice with all of these different applications. You want it, you want the data to sync. So you need all of these things to talk to each other. And then once all of these things talk to each other, once there's a common data language that's happening, and I'll talk about that here in a second, then you can start to layer on things like data visualization and analytics and start to crunch some numbers. Here's a really good example. So let's say, oh, time tracking software. Here's a great example. I see this fairly frequently across our clients. So let's just say you track time either for internal management purposes or billing. Please don't bill by the way. Um, but let's just say that you do. So you track your time and then you invoice. So let's say you just track your time in, in Harvest. Here's a good example. And then let's just say you invoice out of QuickBooks. Well, the time that you track in Harvest, the clients that you put time to, those client names don't necessarily sync over to QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. There's no bi-directional sync there. So you need to make sure that the names in QuickBooks are the same as the names in Harvest. And then you can start to run analytics on where your time is going and, where, and how much revenue you're driving and things like that. Billable rate being the best example, where we're just taking revenue and dividing it by the number of hours that you spent on that client or that project or whatever it is. 
But if those two things don't talk to each other, if those naming conventions are all different between customers, between projects and things like that, we see this all the time, then it's going to be really hard to do that math and those calculations in an automated way. You can still do them, but it's going to be manual. So for you to be able to get to the answers that you want to get to in your business, it's going to take you a lot of time, energy and effort, and you're going to be less likely to do it. So if you want all of those analytics to be automated, so you have access to them on an ongoing basis, so you can make those informed decisions, then you have to do it in a way where your financial ecosystem and to some extent, even your operational ecosystem all syncs together and all plays nicely together. A lot of times we'll see clients who just go and they'll go by any old app that seems cool, but like, okay, that's great. You got a new CRM, but it doesn't talk to QuickBooks. Now what are we going to do? You know, that sort of thing. So just being really intentional and being really careful and having, again, having somebody that you can lean on to walk you through how you get to the information that you want to get to. You know, I'll ask this question just for those who are starting businesses. What are the pitfalls that you see? The top three pitfalls that you see with with agencies. As I've talked to designers and design business leaders, whenever we mention the conversation of finance, everyone tenses up, right? And it's the necessary part of the business to go in. And you talked about it, like having frequent conversations is really key. Um, what are things that you see that are the top pitfalls? I, I'd love for our audience to, to see if, if it holds a mirror up to their practices right now. Mm. How long is this show? <laughs> as long as you've got knowledge. <laughs> 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 yes. But no, I mean, that's the stuff that's really helpful. Like sometimes it's great to hear, like, don't do X and you can look in the mirror and go, oh my goodness, we've been doing X. <laughs> yeah. Here's the number one thing that we see is commingling using a personal type checking or savings or whatever bank type account for your business Don't purposes. do that. Do not do that. Don't do No. Do not no. do that. The commingling... <laughs> Commingling is bad enough. Commingling has all sorts of problems. Like if you've got an LLC and you're commingling, and this is not legal advice by any stretch of the imagination, that's why you have, should have a good lawyer, but potentially you're piercing the corporate veil. You make your tax return really, really difficult to, um, to prepare because we've got to untangle all of these things, right? We got to split it between business and personal at some point. You can't have good information to run your business, which is all that data and analytics stuff that we just talked about. There's a ton of pitfalls with that. Now, if you're using personal type accounts for your business, now it's hard for your business to build credit. So when you go out to go get a loan or a line of credit, like now it's on you personally for sure. So that makes that difficult. So basically, keep the business and the personal separate. The business should have business type accounts that are solely business type accounts. That's the number one thing. The number two thing, I don't know, probably just not paying close enough attention on a regular basis to financial information. And that comes with a whole bunch of pitfalls too. Like where are we spending our money? How do we control expenses? Pricing is a big one. How do we even price this work? You can go and sell work all day long, but if you're not selling it for a price that's high enough, then you're going to lose money and you're not going to understand why. That's that's a good one. Not paying attention to cash flow. That's another one. Talk a bit about pricing. That's one of the areas where you know, you're setting pricing for the first time and you may think that you're charging enough, but if you don't have the perspective of the rest of the marketplace, you can completely be underpricing your work. And I know many times creative leaders are hesitant about charging their real market value for their work. But what are some quick thoughts that you've seen and ways in which you can get past that veil of not charging enough? So first place to start is don't bill by the hour. Gotcha. 
that is the bane of everybody's existence for two reasons. Number one, it doesn't reward you for being really good at your job and or being more efficient. And then number two, it automatically puts you at odds with your client because the benefit for your client is to do your work faster. The benefit for you is to take longer. Okay. So it puts you at odds with your client unnecessarily so, in my opinion. The other piece of this too is in order to build by the hour, you got to track time and there's literally nobody that's good at tracking time. So value-based billing is the way to go. If you want to understand value-based billing and you want to get into my nerdy world of accounting, go read Ron Baker's book, Implementing Value-Based Pricing. It's the Bible of of value-based pricing. And I I have a tendency to send it to clients as well. So value-based pricing basically says that you are going to bill your clients based on the value that you drive for them. A good place to start is to ask your clients questions. What is important to you? What is the result that you're looking to get? If you're asking enough questions and you're building up the value to them of what you are going to deliver, then you can charge higher prices and you're going to get less pushback than you otherwise would if you just say, oh, well, yeah, I can do that, but it's going to be whatever, $20,000 or $50,000 or whatever. So implementing value-based pricing, but also having those conversations with the clients to understand what it is that's going to drive value for them. The other thing to think about kind of that's not in the pricing realm, but it's sort of tangentially related is being on some sort of a subscription-based model or a retainer model, which is less good, but definitely better than one type, one-time project type stuff. So that's kind of my soliloquy on revenue and pricing and, and those things. Much appreciated and great info and appreciate the reference for the book for our audience as well. This is a very good and informative list of what not to do. Anything else? Anything cool. else you need to add to that? I may have had two others. I lost one though. So I'll give you the third one. Yeah. (laughs) The third one is understanding how, when, and why, and where you're going to pay income taxes and other taxes. We see this frequently. So maybe a client comes to us and they've got an S Corp set up, and it's because a previous accountant or bookkeeper told them that you need to get an S Corp. Like, cool, that's great. But understanding how the S Corp is going to pay tax, which for the most part, it's not going to pay income tax. It's going to pass through to you, right? There are a couple of states where things get weird, but just understanding how those funds flow and then who and where you're going to pay estimated taxes, what the timing of that is going to be, how those amounts are derived, managing basis, you know, all things like that. Just understanding the tax implications of the entity you have and how your operation of that entity is going to impact all of those factors. Really good. This is the information, as we said. You know, if you're a design professional, creative leader, you've spent your career focusing on honing your creative facility, the skills around building it. But these are the spaces that help to make, break, or lessen the pain of running these enterprises, having this correct and and having a a champion or someone who has the knowledge, as you mentioned, in your corner as you build the business out. If you were starting a business today as, as a creative business, who would be your starting five? What would be the starting five pieces that you would need in terms of talent and advice? In terms of talent and advice? Holy cow. So you've got to include yourself as one. So you got to, you got to include yourself in the financial acumen as one. So you got four other slots. <laughs> fair. Fair. Yeah. So I would have, I would have a good accountant and a good attorney for sure. A good business coach. I would probably say a business coach that is not involved in or hasn't historically been involved with creatives, somebody with, with just a very broad perspective. Um, so that's three, four would be, four is a little bit difficult. I would waver between um, somebody like 
let's go with, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, let's go with this. Four would be a banker, somebody you have a banking relationship with, which does not mean that you can't use a technology enabled bank. Uh, it just means that what we learned through the pandemic is when things go really, really bad, that it's good to have a relationship with a banker. And that's that's what we're seeing now when folks are trying to get like lines of credit and things like that. You should at least have some sort of relationship with a banker. And then number five, we'll come back to that one because I, I think that's at the start of the pandemic, one of the most requested resources we put together was how to talk to your banker. And it was just an, an important mm -hmm. space. So I, you know, we can come back to that, but I, I'd love to hear number five. Who is your? Yep. Number five would be a friend who's done it, a friend or an acquaintance or somebody in the industry who's done it, which is part of the, like somebody who's done what you're trying to do um, that you can just like pick their brain or a community that would, that would work too. Um, somebody where you've got industry specific resources where people, you know, they understand where you're coming from exactly. But having a business, then that works hand in hand with the business coach. So having a business coach that understands business and how things should operate and having a broad perspective, but then also having that group or that one person who's done exactly what you're trying to do and being able to balance the information that you're getting from those two places that I think that that's invaluable for sure. That's incredible starting five, you know, for us to think about how we would run our organization. We talked a little bit about what's on the other side of kind of our pandemic moment in space. As you prep your own business and you start to think about what's next for your clients, what are some of the things that you're looking out for over the next 18, 24 months? What are you thinking about these days? Holy cow. Uh, we're paying very close attention to the economy and we're paying, we're asking our clients all the time, what are you seeing and feeling? And in particular, what is it that your clients are are telling you? Because all this stuff flows downstream, it, right? It really does, yeah. Um, yep. So we're looking at economic data, we're, and then we're having these conversations with our clients. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? And the other thing that we're doing is raising capital or access to capital, as it were. If things get bad and we get into a crunch, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to lay people off or miss bill payments or anything like that. We want to have some sort of a stopgap. That's another one. And then thinking about different and or creative revenue streams. So what are, where are the places where we can add value or create value that we haven't necessarily explored previously that are going to be perhaps a little bit more recession resistant, that sort of thing. Those are probably the big, what is it, four or five that I, that I just listed. Those are really good spaces for us to kind of think about, you know, what's next. I know for a lot of organizations, just kind of taking the breath to make it through the last 24 months has been has been the the marathon but looking forward is something where we don't want to miss out on the opportunities as the as the world changes we're seeing a lot of creatives move from in-house positions to entrepreneurial and actually the other flow as well during this time period one of the things that the pandemic has showed us is we've all kind of questioned what it is we do and how do we do it are you seeing those type of movements as well as you look at agencies do you see more books coming out or going in these days uh at the moment it's going out what we were seeing about a year ago or so were folks who were going out and and freelancing and opening up their own shops and so the conversations that we were having with agency clients at that point were you know around building a network of folks that you can outsource work to number one but then also what you should be thinking about when you have this mass migration of 
folks who are going into freelance type work, one of the concerns for us would be that that would be deflationary. In other words, your agency now is competing against somebody who's out on their own, who's going with this kind of eat what you kill type mode. They're likely to drive prices lower because they're likely to charge less in order to get work to pay the mortgage, that that sort of thing. So you should be thinking that maybe, maybe that would be deflationary. We haven't quite seen that, but it's something to think about. I think maybe had that scenario played out a little bit longer than it did, we'd be seeing more of that. But where we are economically right now, it's a little bit, a little bit of a different story. What we're hearing from clients is that because corporate marketing budgets are kind of the first to get cut when things slow down, we've got folks who are coming out of corporate and who are sending resumes to to agencies and you know looking for work. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. But it, you know, like you alluded to, it's going to be, it's not going to be next month. It's going to be over the next 18, 24 months or so. So to that end, when, when you look over the horizon, what do you get most excited about these days? What are you most excited about in terms of possibilities or opportunities? I think that the world is just changing so rapidly that the number of opportunities that are out there are, they're more numerous and they come at you a little bit faster and they're also larger. So there's a lot more to take advantage of than there was before. Let's see, next week, it'll be four years since I've been out on my own. When I went out on my own, it was a very tax heavy practice. We did very little virtual CFO work. Now we're 75% virtual CFO work and 25% tax. And I was getting calls from people like on the phone and they would say, hey, I I want you to do my tax return. I'm going to bring you my stuff, like my shoebox full of paper and stuff. And I say, no, you know, I work for my living room basically. And, you know, I I don't do that, you know, but I have an online portal for you to upload documents. And they'd be like, no, you know, I got it. I need to, I need to be sitting there while you do my return face to face. I got to bring you my paper. Right. And so we would lose clients that way. Pandemic hit. And that's not a thing anymore. And like when I posted my first job to hire my first person, like I think, I think it was on Indeed. Like I couldn't, I couldn't post the location as like virtual. It wasn't a thing. And now I can post virtual jobs and get people from all over the country. And it's not that, it's not that hard to do. So the, the talent pool and the client pool and, you know, just the virtual environment has made everything much bigger. So there's much more opportunity. Plus the world is changing. It's never going to change slower than it is today. It's always going to be faster. So, you know, just the amount of opportunity and the size of it is just enormous. That's what gets me. That's an incredible statement right there. We're talking about being excited to just realize that change is not going to get slower. It's only going to get faster. Mm-mm. For sure. For forever. forever. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not going back. You know what? When thinking of that, what's the one lesson added to that that you've taken from the last three years? One of the last lessons from the last two years or three years? Yeah. When I think about it for your time being on your own, you've represented the majority of your time as a standalone business has actually been during the pandemic. Yeah. When we think about it, you know, it's the life outside of the pandemic is, is the secondary for your business now. So what, what lessons have you taken from 75% of your business being in the pandemic? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really great question. And, um, really made me think there for a second. So I would say our mantra right now is just be helpful. And that was born out of the pandemic for sure. I remember when the world shut down in March of 2020 and 
the conversation that we were having internally, our team was three at that point. And the conversation that, that we were having was like, look, this PPP thing, like nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows how this is going to work. The economy is shut down. It's literally never like you've never shut down the entire world economy before ever. Like this can't be a good thing. We don't know how bad this is going to be. But if we can just sit here and have conversations with our clients every single day, and that's what I did for two weeks straight all day. I talked to every single client and just kind of run through like, this is our playbook. This is what we think you should be doing. This is what we are seeing. This is what we're hearing from, from other clients and from banks and all our, and from the AICPA, which is the, the large organization of CPAs. And just have those conversations and just be helpful and not worry about like, oh, well, this client is in this tier and it doesn't allow us to have an extra meeting and we're going to have to send them a bill and that sort of thing. And just trying to pick up every last nickel for PPP applications and for the time that we're spending and all this other stuff. But we're not worried about picking up every last nickel. If we're just sitting here and having real conversations and just being helpful, then these people are going to be clients for life. And we'll just work on a karma system at this moment in time. And that's really what we needed. I just went through this number with my, with my team earlier. We grew 264% in the last two years. So, you know, it's worked and just being helpful um, is really what it's all about. And everything else will just kind of flow from that. It's been a year on mute. So funny that even in these days where we think we have all our technology working, sometimes your mute button just clicks on. <laughs> That's right. That's the other thing that we learned learned from the pandemic is to politely tell people that they're on mute. You have to, because <laughs> because sometimes our mute buttons have minds of their own. We haven't even pressed anything, which is fun to have that moment. But I was saying is that you know being helpful, in which that moment right there really was right, is an important Absolutely. strategic business practice. You know, as you said, you, you talked about in terms of good business karma, but in being an active listener to be a a helpful partner in growing your business, which is what, you know, we talked about from the very beginning of this conversation, what your client needed. And it's great to get that case story of how your business has grown um, because of that point of being helpful. Well, this has been an incredibly revealing and fun conversation about accounting and design, marketing and finance all rolled in, in together. I'd love to leave you with the uh, last words. Are there any things I know you do a lot in encouraging young professionals uh, to go in there. So we'd love to hear if there are any thoughts that you have for young professionals, whether they're on the finance side, marketing or design that are looking to craft their career in this post pandemic landscape. Any advice you have? Yeah, the best advice I have for young folks would just be just keep after right. it and continuously learn. Investing in yourself is always going to be a good investment, but just keep after it. Be consistent. Show up to work when you're supposed to show up to work. You know, do the work that you're supposed to be doing. Be helpful to your clients. Continuously learn. Continuously upskill yourself. And if you can do that, you're you're going to be totally successful. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end our conversation here, my friend. Thank you for taking some time with us on Design Adjacent and having a conversation to look at the intersection of, as we said finance and best business practices combined with marketing, design, and agency work is just an important way to think about who are your top five that are your support mechanism. We encourage you to have finance to be a part of this conversation. So thank you, Chris, again, entrepreneur, CPA, champion, 
and really just all around a great business supporter. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of Design Adjacent, where we look at the nexus of design, running business both today and tomorrow. Thank you. Show notes for this episode will be available on AIGA.org. Please subscribe to our show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. AIGA's Design Adjacent Podcasts and its contents are the copyright of AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited without AIGA's express written permission. My name is Li Shan Huang. Until next time.